Today. Um, yeah, as you saw, we're on week three of um, this really, I think it's been such an amazing series, God's Will for Our Life. And um, if you haven't um, heard the others, please do go and catch them up. But I'm going to do a very quick, quick recap because it's so important for those who might have missed week one and two. Um, but the first week we just started off with was the seed. And Jesus said, uh, you have to be like a seed um, and die. And then there will be true and full um, life. And we looked at that week um, with the testimony of Darren Bowers. Um, we looked at the fact that it's not about what we're doing, but more about who we're becoming. And really, we need to be becoming more and more like Jesus. So that was God's first will for our life. There is this universal macro will that is for all of us. Before we get into individual stuff, we'll get, which we'll get into um, towards the end of today. So... The first thing is that we need to die. It's an unpopular statement, but it's true. Because if we die, then we start shrugging off our will and accepting God's will, and, and we're not like trying to pull in two directions. Right, the second thing, uh, week two, was about being rooted and established in love. So it's the second week, we're still looking under the soil. Um, and basically, if people go to church and uh, they're going there because they're looking for something or wanting something or needing an answer to prayer, and they, they get it, but they haven't rooted and established themselves in love and in faith, then when those things get taken away or when they don't get their next prayers answered, there's nothing to hold on. Their faith has no roots. And so in the faith, we need to root and establish and awesome if you get stuff and if God answers your prayers and you get a wife or you get a baby or whatever it is that you came for, that's wonderful. But that isn't the end of the deal. He wants us to root and establish ourselves in his love. Um, I listened to our amazing young pastor at Florida Road, uh, Luto, and he, he preached on this. Um, well, no, he did a recap, and it was so funny because I tried to very gently last week talk about some Christians that I think are, are rotters, and I, I tried to do it very nicely. And then I heard Lutz doing it, and he was just like, he just went for it. And I, I love this phrase that he used. He said, you know, when a Christian isn't rooted and established enough, but when they're actually trying to earn their own salvation every day and make sure that they're okay with God and checking was that thing I said wrong and, and behaving a certain way, they, they aren't rooted and established enough. They're rooted and established in works and in self-righteousness, not God-righteousness. And so when you encounter them, they aren't lovely. It looks like they've been baptized in vinegar. That's what Lute said. So if you don't like it, you can report back to head office. Um, but I thought it was quite a great statement because it is. It's, you don't go away feeling like it was a wonderful experience because you haven't encountered love. You've encountered a whole lot of, I'm going to get this right, and if you don't get it right, I'm going to judge you because, damn, I'm trying so hard, and that's not what we want. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And have, I have faith that can even move mountains, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. So you could come across a believer who is speaking to speak, talking the talk, pro prophesying, moving mountains with their faith, but if it's not birthed in love, it's not of any value. So that's the below the soil stuff that we spoke about in week one and two, the seed and then the roots. And today we're going to do everything above the soil and it's like a preacher's fertilizer on because I'm actually doing two weeks in one. So we're looking at rapid growth, okay? I'm gonna fly through some stuff, um, but we're really looking today at that uh, as the, the seed, the root breaks through the ground and as it grows and then ultimately ends in fruit because that's what God said. He said he wants us to be fruitful. Um, so... This is the last kind of part of the macro universal, just that growing up, that 
breaking through the soil and growing, and how does that process happen? Um, and and we, we really believe that that growing up is, is an analogy for being led by the Spirit. And this concept of being led by the Spirit, I think, has caused a lot of people pain and a lot of upset along the way, because you know people say, oh, the Spirit said this, or the Spirit said that, or led me to do that, and there's some great stuff, and there's some really weird stuff. Um, it's put some people off ever going to church. But this thing that we need to appreciate today is that the Trinity isn't like multiple choice. We can't go like, I'll take Father, I'll take Son, but mm -mm, not so much the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is very much part and parcel of God's will for our life. He wants us to be led and guided by His Spirit, and today we're going to unpack why. So we want that thing redeemed. If you've, has anyone had any weird experiences of Holy Spirit that sent you packing? Come on, be brave. Put your hands up. Might have even been here. I'm sorry if it was. Um, but yeah, there are. People go into places and they, they find it fully weird. I remember once going to a meeting where there was some very interesting stuff happening um, of, of the Spirit. And our little Nicholas was about five at the time. And he came to us with eyes like saucers and just said, it's not good here. We need to leave. And now there was stuff going on that I don't think was of the Holy Spirit, which he was picking up on. But I understand that it can be an interesting space. And today we really want to just redeem and restore the beauty of what it looks like to be led by the Holy Spirit and why it's so completely and utterly important for our faith. Um, so first up, before Jesus died, he promised us the Holy Spirit. John 16, 7, it says, But I tell you, it is for your own good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the helper, will not be able to come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay? So Jesus wanted to go away. He was happy to die in order that the Holy Spirit could come for us. And then again in his great commission, he makes it clear that the Holy Spirit is a part and parcel. It's a deal for everybody, people of all the nations, and it's not exclusive um, or just for one bunch of people. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit has to be a part of the deal as believers. Remember in week one, we said it's about who we're becoming. And if we're becoming more like Jesus, then we need to understand that he was led by the Spirit, and we need to be led by the Spirit in order to become more like him. Um, he says at one point in Scripture that he only says what he hears the Father say, and only does what he, hears the father, does what he sees the Father doing. So I'm going to flip through a few verses. They're not going to come up behind me, um, but these are just to show that Holy Spirit was such a fundamental part of, of Jesus' whole life. So in Luke 1, it starts off with um, 135, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and be called the Son of God. This is the angel speaking to Mary, and so we see that the Holy Spirit is involved in Jesus' conception. And then in Luke 3.22, he's now grown up, and he's getting baptized, and it says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came and said, You are my son whom I love and whom with I'm well pleased. We speak about this a lot because it's a beautiful verse. Jesus hadn't even started his active ministry, and the Father, the Holy Spirit, just comes and says, This is my son. I love him. He's wonderful. He's great. Without having done a thing. Then in Luke 4, 1, this is very interesting. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. That's quite hectic. He was led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God took him into the wilderness. Why was that necessary? It seems quite hectic. Um, he had to go into the desert actually to die, not to die as we know he ended up dying on the cross, but to die to all of the stuff that was him and his needs and his desires. He had to get into that place where he went, if I have nothing else, is God my father enough to sustain me? 
So he had 40 days of no food, no drink, no eating. Um, he, he must have been absolutely ravenous. He was tempted unbelievably by the devil, and he had to overcome the lust of the eye, the lust of flesh, and the pride of life. But by the time he got out of that 40 days, he was so rooted and established in God's love that we hear this in Matthew 12, 28. Sorry, Luke 4, 14. Luke, Jesus returned to Galilee and the power in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spreads throughout the whole countryside. So he comes out of this wilderness that the Holy Spirit had led him into. He gets rid of all the me stuff, the stuff that he thinks he needs, the, the stuff that sustains life, the man life, the man side of life. And he is completely nourished and sustained by God, his Father. And he goes out, and there the news spreads about him. He is just so on fire. You know, there was no Facebook, Instagram, News 24. It, there was no ease with which for the news to spread like what we see today. And yet the sheer goodness, it spread like wildfire. He was, and all he was drawing on was from God's love and spirit. Matthew 12, 28. But it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And what we just get an inkling of here is that he used, it was the Spirit of God that allowed him to conquer darkness. Um, the Spirit of God can only work in opposition to its enemy. Then Romans 8, 11, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of a spirit who's living inside of you. And so there we see that basically the Holy Spirit was involved from his conception right through to his resurrection. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead and which he says we can have living inside of us. Come on, isn't that exciting? Who wouldn't want that? Okay, um, I hope you've, I've convinced you that in order for us to become more like Jesus, we really need to partner with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does this. It empowers you. It counsels you. It gives you wisdom. It gives you boldness. When we've died and then become rooted in love and then led by the Spirit, it is then that we will begin to bear fruits. So what we need to know is that it's a process. Um, this growing in being led by the Spirit is a process. And um, we're now looking today at the, the shoot that comes out of the ground. And so what happens is it breaks through, and where all the, everything is needed has been from the soil, now the plant needs the sunshine. It needs a light in order to grow and be nourished. And that process, who knows what it is? Needing the light in order to grow and be nourished? Come on. Thank you, photosynthesis. Um, and if you deprive the plant of light, then you will deprive it of, it will eventually die. Now, there's a secondary process, um, and I was saying last week that I think it's so glorious that God gives us incredible lessons about his truth when we look to nature. So there's this chemical, uh, this thing that happens with the plant um, called phototropism, okay? I sound so intelligent. Phototropism is where the plant actually seeks out the light. What happens is that the part that is in shade has uh, this chemical causes the cells to elongate so that continuously the plant is being pushed towards the light so that it's getting maximum life, maximum growth. Now, I think that phototropism in nature is like the Holy Spirit is for us, okay? It's this thing that is pushing us towards the light. It's pushing us towards life and life in fullness. So there's a number of ways that this happens, as, as this phototropism, as this Holy Spirit pushes us towards the light and the sun. The first is this, that um, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in our hearts and minds, okay? Okay. Um, He's in us, we, we don't 
We don't have to go to a meeting to encounter the Holy Spirit. He's in us. As believers, he's there. We just become conscious, and we're always leaning and asking, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in this situation? What do you see? How can I move in partnership with you? So um, our conscience and our conviction um, starts to be molded along according to the Spirit. In Hebrews 10 15, it says this, This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law. I will put my law. That's actually, you can actually extrapolate law with love. (laughs) And love is spirit. I put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will know me. Because we're blessed to live in a time where we have the spirit of the Lord inside of us teaching us, convicting us, not of sin, but of righteousness. So the Holy Spirit is not there for um, behavior modification, but for soul transformation. Holy Spirit is working on the inside of us, and we can grow in learning how to find the light with the Holy Spirit and to just keep growing and blossoming. The second thing is repentance. The Holy Spirit works to help us to have a repentant character. Now, I know repentance has got kind of a negative connotation, and sometimes we can think of having to sit in a cubicle with a priest and the one next door and confessing how terrible we are and what we need to do in order to be right again. Uh, Repentance has typically not been used um, in the incredibly beautiful way that repentance is. Repentance is changing our minds, is changing our minds and going, I'm going this way now, there's a better way to go. It's a beautiful thing. And, and each of us can have the gift of repentance through the work of the Holy Spirit. The third is um, Scripture. Scripture, as Steve was saying, I was quite excited because you warmed up what I was going to say there. Thanks, Steve. Um, scripture is the Word of God. It nourishes, it protects, it directs, it reveals all of the secrets that God wants us to know in order to bring kingdom into the world around us. Um, have you ever noticed how sometimes you could have read the same Scripture like, 30 times, and then one day you read it, and it just drops into your spirit and comes alive, and it just means something new and fresh, and it gives you that bread that you need for a season, and you kind of find yourself going, how did I never see that? Like that old dingbat Bible school, Sunday school teacher told me that a thousand times when I was a kid, and it meant nothing, and suddenly the Holy Spirit will awaken it to you, and it will be real nourishment to your soul. Um, another thing around Scripture is that sometimes, you know, with, with Holy Spirit, we can, we can kind of go, oh, Holy Spirit, please guide me in making this decision. And um, I just want to say, you can save yourself a whole lot of time by asking Holy Spirit to guide you if it's something that's already been said in Scripture, okay? Holy Spirit is never going to guide you to be in a relationship with somebody who's already in a relationship because the Bible says adultery is bad. Um, I have, believe it or not, sat with a Christian who said, the Holy Spirit has told me that this is the one for me, and this one was married. Okay, so that's a terrible and extreme example, but really, if you're in any doubt and you're needing Holy Spirit to guide you, see if the Word doesn't say something about it first, because the Holy Spirit's not going to guide you in opposition to His Word. Um, in preparing today, I wanted to find a story um, of one of the early believers, one of those amazing guys in the, in the Acts Church, just to, um, to draw a few things from us. I'm going to read quite a chunk here, but it's, it's actually a fascinating piece of text, and I want you to really lean in. Uh, that spirit of distraction, if it's, if it's uh, settling over you right now, just shake your head or do whatever you need to do. I won't be offended, um, but let's, let's just dive into this from Acts 8, 26. Okay. 
Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Okay, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip said, asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. So he's reading from Isaiah, from the, the Old Testament prophets. He was led like a lamb, like a sheep to slaughter. I'm actually going to stop here for a moment and say, what I felt there was so much value in this text was that the Spirit, the Spirit speaks to us, okay? And the Spirit speaks to us through the verses and through the Scriptures. But I think so often we're trained to, to look at it with one lens. And we could be looking at it and going, this story is all about Philip, it's all about how Philip was obedient, and he went to the eunuch, and he did what he did, which we'll hear now, and, and went away. And we, we would quite automatically focus on the Philip in the situation, or the Jesus in the situation, or the Paul. Um, but we also need to be able to take a step back and understand that everybody reading the Bible is coming with, from a very different lens. They're going and they're seeking something, and these texts become so rich and so alive when we actually just get to, to ask, but who's this person that it's about? What are they thinking? How would they have been feeling? What is this thing that they're hearing? And, and how would it have been so powerful? So I want you to, we're going to spend a bit of time looking at it from the, the perspective of the eunuch. Um, because also, you know, this, like we said, this Holy Spirit is for everyone. And so often we're coming at it with a lens of the world that we've occupied and grown up in. And we can miss so much of the richness that this Bible was written for people vastly different to us. And it becomes so much richer and more alive when we can actually understand how different people would read it. Okay, so he's reading from Isaiah. And it says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Isaiah's talking, uh, prophesying about Jesus. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb silent before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now, the eunuch asked Philip, please tell me, who's the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? Something has happened to this man that he doesn't need to like, take a few years to work out if baptism is the next step. Something radical has shifted in this man's heart after hearing the good news that Philip has shared with him. What can stop me from getting in this water? And so he gave orders for the chariot to stop. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. He was teleported. Okay, And the eunuch did not see him again, but went away rejoicing. 
Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns. I just want you to know that Philip is still alive and well. He's just elsewhere. Okay, he was literally teleported. Okay, so the Spirit told Philip to go to their chariots and stay near it. I'm trying to understand this in modern days. And, um, and it's, it's very far-fetched but because I know that this miraculous teleportation thing just happened. It, it is plausible, but it's like, it's like Philip being told to say, go to Cyril Ramaphosa's most uh, devoted kind of confidant or advisor, saying, go there and stay close by because I need you to do something. So maybe kind of flying alongside the blue lights, I don't know what that would have looked like. But um, anyway, like I said, our thoughts in the story can automatically go to Philip, but I want us to go more to the Ethiopian, this Ethiopian eunuch. This little passage tells us a lot. I'm just going to read it again. Now, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of his entire treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he's reading the prophet Isaiah. There's a whole lot of information in this little paragraph. First, it's that he's a foreigner. Secondly, he's an African. Thirdly, he's a rich person. He's a member of the royal court. He's literate. Not many people were literate in that day. He's a person of faith. I'm not sure what faith, but he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Now, a eunuch, for those who don't know, was a castrated male. And they had typically been castrated before puberty, around the age of eight. And um, this would have radically altered their lives. Um, Their voices wouldn't break. They wouldn't get facial hair. And they would look and sound very different to men and women. Um, They were mostly single, obviously, and childless. Um, And they would have had quite solitary lives, actually. If you think of the Jewish culture and tradition, it was just like family and togetherness, and this eunuch would would not have that same thing. Um, Plus, if you think now he had gone to to Jerusalem to worship, I'm assuming that he would have been going to a temple. And the temple was a highly gendered space. You had like the men and the young men on one side and you had the women and children on the other side and there was a place for the foreigners. And you could imagine that this eunuch would have gone in and kind of gone, where do I fit? Where do I actually go? I don't, I don't know if I fit in. And like, it could have been quite a struggle for him to even have a sense of belonging there. We don't know why he was a eunuch. Um, Jesus himself in Matthew says that there were three reasons for being a eunuch. The one was that somebody could be born that way. Or secondly, they could be made that way, typically to serve in the court so that um, the husbands, you know, um, the the kings even could put a a eunuch in charge of all of his concubines and know that nothing would go wrong uh, with a man in in the midst of all these women. Um, And the third, Jesus says, is that that somebody could have chosen to um, to become a eunuch, to be castrated for the work of the kingdom. Anyway, we don't know what it is, but if if we just try and unpack a little bit, there's this man living this very different life. And um, it could have signaled, like I said, loneliness. Um, it could have been that this young boy was, was taken and given this terribly painful procedure against his will and, and then suffered. And then whether it was a surgical procedure or born that way, he would have probably been ridiculed you know, um, by other young boys when he just wasn't developing the same way. You can understand that there, there would have been a lot of challenge in this, in this um, man's life. And so it says that he went there to worship. And I just go, you go to worship because you want a connection. He was going there for connection. We don't know if he found it in the temple or not. But he probably bought 
some text and some, some scripture, and off he went into his chariot on the way back to Ethiopia. And so he's reading these words. There's something tugging at his heart. He knows that there's something of this God and of these scriptures that can fill potentially a void, that can make him feel a sense of belonging. There was something resonating with him. And so enter Philip. He's bold, he's filled by the Spirit, and he's meant to be there in that moment. And he reads with him. He reads this text and he unpacks it, filled with the Spirit. He shares it in such a way that something radical happens in this eunuch's life. He may have gone to the temple and not found that connection, but here we see that led by the Spirit, Philip is like love hunting this man down. He goes and finds him and he shares the good news. Now, if this eunuch had continued to read on, this is the fascinating thing with scripture. You know, I could have read what I'm about to read to you and never even noticed the eunuch thing because I'm not a eunuch and it means nothing to me. I'm just trying to illustrate to you that when we take on the lens of people different to us, the scripture becomes even more fascinating and love and you, you see even more increasingly how God is just reaching out to every soul on this earth. It's just absolutely beautiful. So had he read on, he would have gotten to Isaiah 56, three to five, which says this, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say that the Lord will separate me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, and into that I read, the eunuchs who are in my rest, who are in the beauty of my rest, that is Sabbath rest, and choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which can never be cut off. You know, the truth of the gospel is we know it's the death, it's the life, death, and resurrection and the hope that we get pulled into. It's that in his death, he fulfilled every law that we could never fulfill and brought us into this incredible story. And all of scripture is supporting that truth. You can see it in the pages of the old and the pages of the new. It all points back to the cross. And so even in that text, that, that scripture, he's hearing himself named. He's hearing this eunuch and he's going, I might have feared being fruitless, uh, not, not having fruit in my life because I'm not able to produce fruit in the way that normal people do. But there he is. God thought of him and called him out and said, if you're in me and in my rest, I will make you like a memorial that is more famous than all the sons and daughters. He's calling him into this beautiful love story. So he hears this good news. He gets hunted out by tele amazing Philip who just finds him and shares this good news. It didn't have to be in the walls of the temple. We don't have to be led by the Spirit and help people to encounter his love in the temple. It, it is with us wherever we go if we're able to hear and be led. This is what Holy Spirit does. He takes us beyond our comfort. He emboldens us. He gives us crazy ideas and helps us to seek out people with his love in a way that completely transforms lives. This man could not be stopped from being baptized. He had encountered the love of Jesus and he could not stop himself from being baptized. It's absolutely beautiful. So the good news that would have been shared uh, with this man, in essence, it doesn't matter where it comes from from Scripture because it is the truth, it is the Word. It's that Jesus, like a seed, died. 
He went to the cross and died for us, completely motivated by a love that he was rooted in and that he came alive through the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we sitting here today are a fruit of what Jesus did. And we're going to end today on the fruit. But before we get there, I'm going to ask Danny and Nat to just come up and share a story, really, about being um, led by the Spirit, Danny being led by the Spirit, and how fruitful that can look. And, and really, um, this, what they're speaking to today is this final point um, of being Holy Spirit-led, which is to be aware, to be listening, to be paying attention. So, are you ready? Come a little bit closer. They don't like being up here, but give them a hand just to warm them up. Um, okay, so the moment I would like to share was uh, one that happened on the ladies' camp this year when we went to the Midlands. Um, I joked with the girls, I said that I'd only gone there because I needed an excuse to buy winter pajamas. So I didn't actually know any of the girls at that stage. Um, But in spite of my resistance, we had an incredible Friday evening um, with Susie that was there. And I think all of us knows what happens when Susie is around. Um, We had a a, a Holy Spirit filled um, Friday night. Um, I'm not going to go into the detail, but um, God had showed me that he speaks to me, even though I have disqualified myself so many times. I went to bed and I thought that was it. I could go home now. God had um, spoken to me and showed up, but um, God had more. Saturday night we were worshiping and um, while we were just all in the moment, I felt the Holy Spirit drop thought into my head um, that, sorry, (laughs) that um, somebody there had not danced with their father on their wedding day. I kind of just disregarded the thought because I thought I couldn't think of who it would be um, of the people that were there. Internet. <laughs> okay, so um, I went to the ladies' camp um, not only hoping for change, but I was adamant that I won't leave without it. Um, I had an image of my head with how about how the weekend would go, and God had something else in mind. I watched around me as the woman I loved received words and had this radical experience with the Holy Spirit. Um, And by the time it was Saturday, I kind of like threw myself at Susie for prayer. Um, And as she, um, she basically said she's going to pray and she stood still and waited for someone to stand up. And I stood up and I basically stood there for like 10 minutes begging God for a word and I got nothing. So as she started to close um, in prayer, I just felt all the hope drain out of me and I was quite broken and I went back to the room in tears, wondering why, had God, why God had taken me to this place. And it's, um, yeah, it just felt like there was nothing left. Um, so, yeah. It's your turn. Oh. <laughs> um, so, it was actually, it was quite an awkward moment when, when Nat stood up there for prayer. And I, I don't think Susie didn't see her, or I, or I think Susie just didn't see her. So, we all kind of were sitting down, and Nat had stood up, like, boldly, and... Um, we joke about it now, but when she stood up, um, I immediately felt that that it was that was indeed Nat's. And how I know it was a Holy Spirit moment is that I felt the prompting to dance with her, and I was like, ha ha ha, not a chance. I just laughed and laughed it off, and funny guy, Holy Spirit. And I decided to just leave it, and I went off to bed, not not knowing that Nat's had gone to bed. Um, Hope, hopeless. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So um, the next man, the next morning, I didn't want to get out of bed. 
sorry. <laughs> um, but I did, and I went um, to the meeting, but it, it was as if I was in a different space. And we had to, we all had to pray and ask God for a word for us. And the word that I got was daughter, and um, basically um, a word that I have had repeatedly over the years about dancing. So um, as I shared my word, Danny said she had seen a picture of someone who had not danced with her father at the wedding. And then Susie and Nat, which I forgot, bullied us into dancing. Um, yeah, so I left that weekend changed in ways I didn't know possible. Um, and what I took away from that weekend was that we, we, sorry, we box God and expect the Holy Spirit moments to be filled with sparks and fireworks and face on the floor encounters, but he works in ways we can't even imagine. Um, those words that were given to me that day and that dance with Danny, it just blew me away. And yeah, I left changed and uh, the day still, it's, yeah, it makes me cry. <laughs> And then just to end off, I just want to say that um, I was actually the next morning when I, um, when Nat started sharing, I, and I realised that um, I had not listened to the Holy Spirit at that moment because I was embarrassed or whatever it was. I was quite sad, and that I could have robbed her from a beautiful word, or made she could have left, um, not having heard from God or changed. Um, I'm sure it wasn't my dancing that changed her, but. <laughs> Um, apparently there's a video, but we will never, ever share it. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, um, I guess I think that's just the, the, the crux of it is that I listen to that prompting and I do try to remember that as an important lesson to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Thanks. Thanks so much. Um, it's just uh, reminded me of a story again where you, you really have to pay attention um, because when he speaks, it's important. Um, one night, a while back, I went to bed. I was in a place where I was completely convinced that I had uh, been a complete moron and heard God completely wrong and made a complete mess of my life. And um, I went to bed saying, God, I'm too tired to even like engage with you in prayer. You will have to speak to me in my dreams because that's how tired I am. And he was so kind. I had three incredibly clear dreams. When I woke up, though, I only remembered two. And they were as clear as daylight. I knew exactly what they meant. And they were a deep encouragement to me. And then um, as I was driving my kids up the road to school, I suddenly started to remember, like the, the, the pictures of the third dream started to drop into my head. And I was so scared it was going to go away that I turned off the radio and I was just like, Okay, don't let it go, because it's important, because I asked God for it. And it was quite funny, because my Nicholas was sitting next to me, and he's like, God's busy talking to you, isn't he? Just, like, what a crazy thing to say. I mean, it doesn't happen every day, guys. You know, I know I'm the pastor, but it really doesn't happen every day. And um, I was like, yes, boy, just... And it was quite an incredible um, thing that I remembered. It was a, a, another pastor in the area walking towards me in my dream, and um, his face was all bruised and battered, and he was coming towards me, and he was so worried and, and tender, and he just said, Nat, why haven't you come to me for help? I can help you. And I was like, wow. It was as clear as that. As I'm speaking it, I can remember it as if it was a movie I saw. And um, so I, I actually, um, I chatted to my, my leader, who's Ross, and said, what should I do? He said, phone him. 
So I phoned him in, and he was like, oh my gosh, I would so love to meet with you. And he and his wife and I went for lunch, and, um, and I explained what had happened, and he, he just got tears in his eyes, and he said, I've been bruised and battered. That's why my face was all bruised and battered in the dream. I know how you feel, and you haven't made the wrong decision, and everything is going to be okay. And it was just like, what a gift from God. But my point is that as I felt that thing downloading, I could have just carried on singing the song that was on or, you know, looking at the trees flying by. But I I zoomed in and I paid attention and I tried to shut out all the clutter because I was like, God, you are speaking and this is important. And guys, that was such an important thing that God was trying to tell me. It was absolutely essential to what I was able to continue doing. Okay, we're going to close in now with fruit. And I know that you think this might be the beginning of a whole new preach. It's not. Okay, we've done seeds rooted in love, growing up. Remember this beautiful chemical that actually the Holy Spirit is guiding us towards the light. And if that all happens and is in place, then we will have good fruits. We will be fruitful people. If you see a fruit, it's attractive. And you, you know, if you were to walk in a field and see it, you just kind of want to pick it. Um, the, some of the girls and I from the whole hearted team actually went up, and some of you will be jealous to hear this, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to boast, but we went up to spend the weekend at Audrey and Boyazi's farm. Um, remember Audrey, the beautiful lady from the conference that she shared a few weeks back here. And um, Audrey um, is fruitful. She's utterly, ridiculously, mind-blowingly fruitful. So, you know, we go for a walk in her field. She's got this small holding in Rosetta, and she takes us into this dome, and we pick strawberries and eat them. You know, she just does that in her spare time. Um, And uh, it was so wonderful to be with her, because she'd actually preached last week at Florida Road on fruitfulness. And she challenged us all, and maybe you can just answer this in your head, but she said, what is your fruit, Anna? Don't answer me. Don't worry. I'm not putting you on the spot. Nikki, what is your fruit? Edward, what is your fruit? And you know, automatic response, if you've been in church any amount of time, is to go, it's, it's love and peace and joy and kindness and you know the fruit of the Spirit. But she said, no, what is your fruit? That's the fruit of the Spirit. But you have fruit. Audrey has got an abundance of fruit. Four children, a wonderful marriage. She has written a play. She has made a board game, the most glorious board game. While we're there, she, she whipped out fig jam that she made. You know, she's preparing companies' accounts on the side. Uh, all these things are fruits. She's making, she cooked for us. You know, that is a fruit. It's making something. And because she's rooted and established in love, anything that she makes is a gift. It's a fruitfulness. It's a production. Fruitfulness in our lives is something that we produce. And we can produce it just for a paycheck, or we can produce it going, this is a fruit of the vine of God. And that changes the taste of the fruit. It changes how we give it. Tyler is fruitful when he takes photos and does videos. He's fruitful. He's giving a product that is good to eat of. It's nourishing. It's bringing kingdom back. It's bringing beauty back into the world. Prim is fruitful as she cares for my children and cooks in our home, and makes my life so much easier for him. Thank you. My husband, and Dion, and Candy, and Ethan, they were fruitful today. They made music, which we could eat of. All of us have been wired with the most incredible things to give of our fruit. Rob is bringing fruit into an environment. He's bringing his gift of financial genius and wisdom, and he's trying to restore something in an environment. Every single one of you in this room has fruit. But let me tell you, if that, 
fruit is established in his love and we allow ourselves to be led by the spirit, that fruit is good and it tastes better. And the other thing, I've just listed all those things that Audrey does. You could think the woman should be exhausted, right? She should be. I'm sorry. I look at it and I go like, you're a freak of nature. But she's not. She's restful. She practically skips along. And it's because she's not running after things that she wants to do for a name or a title or something. She's just so in tune with Holy Spirit. She's like, I'll do this today, and I'll do that tomorrow, and I'm going to do this now. It's restful. God's will for our lives is that we would have fruitful lives, all of us. That we would die to ourselves so we can become something new, something like Jesus, that we'd understand and be rooted in his love, that we'd allow his Holy Spirit to guide us, and that we would bear much fruit. Those fruits are a sign that will point to him and give him glory. And those fruits are individual because he's wired each of us to have a different fruit, a different thing that we produce. And all of you have those things. I think we can get so super spiritual about what our fruits are and think, oh, we're not fruitful. You are. But allow everything that you give, everything that people can pick off your tree to be rooted and established in him. And that is his will for our lives. Pastor, do you mind just, thank you. I'd like you to just please stand and we're just gonna close in prayer. Jess Rue has designed an app with a bunch of people that is fruitful. She's used her knowledge and her skills and her love of children and families. And that is a fruit that many people will eat of. It's a beautiful fruit, Jess. We're excited for you. We're just gonna make a bumper crop. <laughs> Danny, Danny hears from God and she's also an artist. And I've seen what happens when Danny uses her art to allow God to speak a message through her art. She, God told her to draw a painting that was so specific and unique for somebody in this church. She could never have known what she was doing when she painted that picture for this person. And she gave it to him. And I'm telling you that that picture is something that this person can hold onto as a promise from God. All of you have gifts and talents. Let the Holy Spirit empower you to make it a fruit that is of Him that will bring kingdom to earth. That's what He wants. He wants us to know Him so that we can restore all of the goodness around us in relationships, in schools, in business, in the environment. Heavenly Father, just thank you for the absolute wonder of your word, for God, how your truth in the word lines up with nature, how you're teaching us through everything if we will only see, Lord. Thank you that you have given us such a rich book that would allow us to even read it and see it from perspectives we don't understand, that you are reaching out to everyone on this earth. And Father, now I just really ask that for anyone who has not asked to be filled with your Holy Spirit, God, that right now, if there's anyone in that space who wants to do that, you would just surrender yourself to him and allow his Holy Spirit to, to really be able to help you to co-partner with what he's doing, to co-labor with what he's doing in and around you. That anything you've been trying to do for him would now step into the rest that comes from being led by his Spirit. 
if you would like a fresh and filling of His Spirit or to really ask to operate in His Spirit for the first time, why don't you just put your hands out? You can do it. Nobody's looking. This is just between you and Him. But He has so much more He wants to give you. He doesn't want you to strive. He wants you to co-labor with Him, with the power and the emboldening of His Spirit. God, we thank you that you have such a good will for our lives. Father, help us to to know that it's always less about what we do and more who we're becoming. Becoming more like your son. And that is not through striving that will get us there, but being rooted in your love and led by your spirit, Lord. And so we just say, won't you do a new thing in us, King? We want to be fruitful for you. We want people to eat of our fruit and know that they have encountered you, that our fruit have pointed to you, Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys.